Good evening. It is good to see each of you. It is wonderful to be together to worship God. What wonderful singing. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you would be open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. That's on page 816 in your pew Bibles. And um, you might, if you have your Bible, to be sure and open it or grab a pew Bible there because we will have many references to scriptures, but the scriptures themselves, for the most part, won't be on the screen tonight. So, uh, But we'll be looking through those four chapters, so be sure and open a Bible tonight and, and let's study together. What a wonderful, wonderful day we've had. Uh, many of you invited others, and it was obvious by the success of the day and, and how encouraging that is that Bible class was emphasized today. But you know, the, the beauty of thinking about Bible class emphasis day is really within that phrase, think about Bible emphasis. You know, that's really what our life is all about is, is hearing the will of God, submitting our life to the will of God. And it's wonderful when we can be a part of a church family where the Bible, God's will, is emphasized. And uh, let's make sure that that's not only how we are collectively, but that's who we are individually. And that's how we want our Bible classes to be. And that's what we want sermons to be. And that's what we want our lives to be, is we want to be a reflection of God's Word. Tremendous lesson brought this morning and a tremendous song service. We're so fortunate to have uh, Andrew and Phil. What a blessing it is to work and serve with them. Keep in mind that this coming week, We'll have a pretty large team leaving for El Salvador early Saturday morning. Be praying about that. Pray for spiritual success. Uh, Pray for physical safety. Pray that God's will would be done in all things. Also, keep in mind the pictorial directory. Uh, We do need you to be sure and schedule your own picture. But also, there is uh, quite a bit of need right now for individuals that can man a table and that can, can welcome people and have them sign in and tell them where to wait and when to wait and etc. And uh, if you can do that, please be sure and let that be known also that uh, we can take care of that event and everything will be accomplished uh, to the best that it can be in that. But we need your help for that to be the success that it ought to be. Also, yesterday morning, uh, the Mount Juliet congregation hosted a breakfast to raise money for Timothy Hill Children's Ranch. And what a tremendous, tremendous success. To each of you that were a part of that, uh, $12,316 was raised uh, among about 80 to 100 folks. And what a blessing it is that God gives us to be a part of a good work. It's amazing the blessings God gives us. And opportunities to do good is definitely a part of a tremendous blessing. As we think about Bible class emphasis day, I couldn't help but, but think about the tremendous story of Jonah. Now, I want you to imagine when you bring your three-year-old and four-year-old and even your two-year-old home from, from Bible class, and they know so much. I know I've experienced that where you say, how do they learn all of that? It's because not only are they taught the story and they have the story read to them from the scriptures, but also they have little interactive activities that allow the child to be a part of that. For example, many of us have heard of the game. Maybe you played it at birthday parties when you were young. It was the game Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Well, maybe some of you older ones haven't had this blessing, but some of you younger ones that have been a part of the Bible classes here at Mount Juliet, you've played the game Pin Jonah to the mouth of the whale. They blindfold the kids. The kids walk up blindfolded and they try to find the mouth of the whale being blindfolded. Now, that's a tremendous game. 
Uh, probably even greater so if you're three years old. Uh, the truth is, I bet some of us would really enjoy it at whatever age you are. But you can imagine the children walking up and you can imagine the laughter when, oh, you covered his eye. But you know what? When it's all said and done, what the children know and what they remember is that there was a character in the Bible named Jonah. And he had an experience unlike any other that's ever lived. Three days he was in the belly of the well. You know, when I was young, I used to feel sorry for Jonah. At least while he was in the belly of the well. Wow, seaweed wrapped around your head. Jonah, the second chapter, tells us that. That's not made up. Seaweed wrapped around your head, finding yourself between teeth, sliding down a tongue. When I was young, I couldn't imagine staying anywhere for three days. Much less the belly of a well by yourself for three days. But you know what? The more I study the Scriptures, the more it dawns on me that that was really the best part of Jonah's life. You see, we often say the phrase, Jonah in the well. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's just like saying David and Goliath. Like if I say to you tonight, Saul and Goliath, that doesn't have the same ring. David and Goliath has a comfortable ring. We're used to hearing that. Jonah in the well, that has a comfortable ring. What about Jonah out of the well? How does that sound? Friends, I suggest to you tonight that it doesn't sound very well. I'm sure there were some great things about Jonah, and I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade, but if we just take what is revealed in the Scriptures, there's not much to boast about in the life of Jonah, except for that short period of time that he was in the well, and that very short period of time after the well, when he was still having the direct direct effect of being in the belly of the well. But if you say, what Bible character would you like to be like? And someone says, I'd like to be like Jonah. No, you wouldn't. That guy was struggling spiritually. And it may be that some of us are in the same boat or belly that he's in. So I want to challenge you tonight. How are you? Oh, there's certain settings that we do real fine. Maybe you're like Jonah. Maybe you do real good when you're in the belly of a well. How do you do when you're not in the belly of the well? Maybe you do real good when you're in a church setting and, oh, I want to do God's will. I want to live for the Lord. But how do you do on Monday? How do you do on Saturday night? How do you do when you're not in that confinement? As we study a story, what I'd like for us to do is accomplish two things tonight. Number one is at least get an overview of the four chapters of Jonah. Number two, I'd like for us to summarize with the question, how much like Jonah am I? Let's look as we begin. First, just a few brief things about the man Jonah himself. When we consider Jonah, his name means dove. Now that's kind of ironic that he was one that was to bring peace to Israel, but yet we don't see a lot of peaceful things about his life. He was one that lived in Jeroboam II's reign. That would have been during the divided kingdom. Assyria was their greatest enemy. Assyria's reign was about 300 years. They were literally the enemy that would be the demise of the northern kingdom. So therefore, when God was asking Jonah to go and to preach to Nineveh, that was the capital city of Assyria. And so he was literally asking God to prolong the days of their enemies. That's why this was such a challenge and why it was such an issue of, of prejudice, if you will. 
But then also, just a little side note, Jonah wasn't just a prophet. When we read in Kings, we realize also he was the one that went and was a spokesperson to recapture, reclaim some of the lost territories of Israel. And so in this sense, he was also what we would think of as a statesman. So here's a man that was definitely successful. He was known by his peers because he'd already accomplished great things in the community. What we might today think of as a political person with, uh, with power. He seems to have that kind of reputation as we read in Kings. But yet the Lord identifies him as also one that he believed could have enough power to go and influence a whole capital city. We're talking about a man, no doubt, that had great potential for God, but he seemed to never live up to the potential that God gave him. And so now let's go in to this story. And let's begin in the first chapter of Jonah. Again, it's on page 816 of your pew Bibles. And as we read the first few verses, I'd like for us to think about running from God. And and the little initials there on your screen, the BW, of course, that's the time period. That's before the whale. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's interesting here, and I think it's simply something that we can make by application. And that is the fact that whenever he was running from the Lord, he had to pay the fare. I need to realize that there's always a pay, a fare that has to be paid whenever I'm substituting God's will with my will. Now, Satan won't say that. Satan will say that you have to pay big time if you're going to serve the Lord. Look at all the things you're going to give up. Look at all the ways you're going to be miserable. Look who you're going to be if you're a Christian. Now, you can come over here and it's free. It's the world. It's just the way you want it. It's everything you could ever dream. That's not true. When we pay the greatest is when we pay to play on Satan's playground. Paying the fare. You see, he was wanting to run from God. And as he was wanting to run from God, he had to pay the fare. He went down into the boat. Notice he was running away from the Lord. Now, this is an entirely different lesson, but it's interesting to note the fact how when he was running from the Lord, everything was down. Down to Tarshish, down in the boat, thrown over the water, down into the water, down in the belly of the well. It was there that... He humbled himself, he prayed, and he came up. He decided to go up to Nineveh to preach. He encouraged the people in Nineveh to look up to God and repent. Which way is your life going? Are you paying the fare and you're running down? Are you on your way looking up to God for His will? You see, when he decided to go away from God... Things started falling apart. If you have your Bible open, you see in verse 4, there was a mighty tempest of the sea, and the ship was about to be broken up. And in verse 5, the mariners were afraid. These were the people that made their living on the water. How bad does a storm have to be before it starts to break a boat open? How bad does a storm have to be before men that make their living on the water begin to be afraid of the storm that is at hand? And then, how bad does it have to be when you make your living providing transportation for cargo, and it's the cargo that is your livelihood that you begin in verse 5 to throw overboard. Finally, in verse 7, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause 
this trouble has come upon us. They cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. They came to Jonah in verse 8 and asked who he was and from what country and occupation. In verse 9 he says to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Friends, what's the problem here? Oh, it would be easy to say, I can tell you what the problem is, there's a violent storm going on. I can tell you what the problem is. They should have built that boat a little stronger. It's about to break in two. Oh, I tell you what the problem is. We should have had some mariners that were more courageous. These guys are scaredy cats. Oh, no, I tell you what the problem is. The problem, we have troubles. We're about to get to the root of the problem. And it's a problem that probably all of us have experienced at one time or another. Even though the storm would have been difficult and the boat breaking up would have been of great concern and there was fear and there were troubles there, that wasn't really the problem. Look with me, if you will, in verse 12. And finally, Jonah clearly tells them what the problem is. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. I'm not preaching to any particular individual tonight. I'm just preaching the Word of God. But I know there's got to be in a crowd this size someone who's trying to blame their problems on the storm. Or they're blaming their problems on mariners that are scared. If my boat was just stronger, if these troubles just weren't stirring about me. And you know what? If we don't face up, We're going to find our life full of a boat that's breaking, fear, troubles, and a storm that seems to never calm. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God expects you and I to be responsible for ourselves. When did things change? In that situation, things did not change until Jonah came out of the deep sleep out of the bottom of that boat and said, it's because of me. We can make excuses all day long to make ourselves feel better. We can make excuses to try to get people to think differently of us. But I need to believe this. Excuses won't change the storm. Excuses won't change eternity. It's only till I take responsibility as Jonah did and say, I was running from the presence of the Lord. How foolish is that? Where could you and I go to hide from the presence of the Lord? The bottom of a boat, sound asleep, won't hide us from the presence of the Lord. The storm still came. The boat was cracking. Fear and troubles were there. What's the answer? Take responsibility. Now, as ironic as this is... Finally, things were going to get better for Jonah once he entered into the belly of the fish. That's the best part of this whole story. He goes down and notice how verse 2 begins. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Now, for three days he's in this solitary confinement. I want you to imagine your life. What would your thoughts be? What would you own up to? If someone snatched you out of your situation right now and they locked you in an uncomfortable room of total darkness for three days, 
Friends, I'm not talking about from now to 10 o'clock tonight. I'm not talking about tonight to in the morning and you wake up and they open the door. Now imagine this, if you will. Here we are Sunday evening, Monday evening, Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening. They open the door in time for you to come back for church Wednesday evening. And you've sat in an uncomfortable environment for three days. It might not be all bad. It might give us a chance to think about what's really important in life. Who is God and who am I? Who am I to run from the presence of God? And what do we read about in the second chapter? We read about a man that in this situation, from a humble heart, because that's where prayer begins, James the fourth chapter, from a humble heart, he begins to lift up prayer to God. But now notice also, he was from a knowledgeable heart. We're not going to take the time tonight to read all of this second chapter. But either phrases or almost complete sentences are quoted over and over from the book of Psalms in the second chapter of Jonah. Here a man is sitting in the belly of a fish, but he knew the Word of God. He clung to the Word of God. And it was times where he needed Something with stability. Oh, he thought he had it figured out doing his will. But it wasn't until he was in the belly of the well that he really started to turn back to the will of God. Now, I would like us to look at verse 7 and see this third point. He also had a reminiscent heart. Look at verse 7. In the middle of this prayer that he's praying to God, he says, When my soul fainted within me, You see, that's when we're our strongest, is when we give up our self-will. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. None of self, all of thee. Forget the Lord, remember the Lord. Which is it going to be? Jonah says, now I'm ready to forget myself. I'm faint of me. I realize I can't make it. I realize it's foolish to run from the presence of God. God, I want to lean upon you. I want to find strength in you. I remember the Lord. Many of us have fresh upon our mind the Timothy Hill Children's Ranch after being with them at breakfast yesterday morning and second service this morning, James Hill stood here as a a living illustration. And as we, we think about their work, there was something that I learned working with them that will forever be etched in my heart. You've heard me say it before. It was the first time in my life on a daily basis I worked with individuals that had tremendous problems and they had nothing to go back to. Someone said, I don't really know why we put all this effort for VBS because some of these kids, we only see them once a year. They're just here once a year. Year after year, they're here, but never in between. Why do we do this? Or someone says, I don't know about a youth group. You see kids come and go. We've got our core group, but you see other kids that are here for a year or two and then they're gone. And another one may be here for six months and then they're gone. I don't understand. What's the reason of this? I can tell you this. If we can place in the heart of a child a knowledge of God, one of these days when they go faint, they have a Lord to remember. But you want to rip your heart out? You see a child that's growing faint, and they don't have a Lord to remember. They don't know the difference in Genesis and Revelation in the Bible because they didn't know the Bible had different books in it. They don't know Mary and Joseph from whoever's on the latest sitcoms because they don't know any character in the Bible except maybe Jesus Christ. 
friends. That's becoming more and more prevalent in the South. Individuals that honestly do not know that there is a Lord because they can't remember Him because they've never met Him. Jonah, it was the time that he was feeling faint of self that he could remember the Lord. And then note what he did of this penitent heart in verse 9. I'll sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And it's interesting here they refers to a vow that he had made. And, and this is a promise that he made to God. Now, you, you could read this perhaps either way. Is he saying now from the depths of the belly of this well, now I'm ready to make some promises to God. And if God will just allow me to be free from this well, I'll go to Jerusalem and I'll fulfill the vows I've made. I would tend to think that it's more the other way. I would tend to think that now he's found himself, he's looking back at his life, I've been running from God, I've made vows that I have not honored. Even, even the Solomon writes of that in Ecclesiastes 5, how terrible that is to make a, 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 a quick vow to God and then not fulfill it. And so he's looking back on his life of things that he hasn't done right. And he says, Lord, if I can ever get out of here, i tell you what I'll do. I'll make good on the vows that I've made to you. A penitent heart. Lord, I've been sitting here in this darkness. And I realize there's a lot of things that I need to change in my life. I'll make good on my vows if you'll give me the opportunity to be saved. You see, we now are seeing that same Jonah that's saying, I take responsibility. I can't do it without you, Lord. I'm leaning upon you. I want to fulfill your will. But I know I have to be responsible for me. Now he's running back with God in the well. But now we're going to see that he runs with God after the well. Look in the third chapter. We see grace. Now some people say there's not grace in the Old Testament. Now that's, I don't know who dreamt that up, but don't fall for that fairy tale. And so we see in the third chapter in verse 1, he's given a second chance. Notice the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God's going to give him another chance. We see the graciousness of God here. And so now he has a second chance in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it its message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. How did he go? According to the word of the Lord. Notice that's how the book began was that the word of the Lord came to him. But the first time the word of the Lord came to him to go to Nineveh, he ran from the presence of God. Now God comes to him a second time, the word of the Lord to go to Nineveh, and he decides to go to Nineveh. The rest of this chapter is about when he went into Nineveh, he began to preach. And the king sent out a decree through his noblemen that they should send the message that everyone should repent. And to show their penitence, they would sit in sackcloth and ashes... And no one would eat. Now notice this. Not only was it fasting for the people, he declared that not even the animals in the land were allowed to eat or drink. Every living thing in the land there in that huge, huge, great city is how it's translated here of Nineveh was going to fast. God heard them. God had mercy upon them. And God decided not to destroy them as He has originally planned. Now friends, that had to be a great day. The very end 
of the book of Jonah, we read that there were 120,000 souls that didn't know their right hand from their left. Probably meaning children that were three or four years old and under. If those children made up one-fifth of the population, that would mean around 600 to 700,000 souls were not going to be destroyed because Jonah went and he fulfilled the Word of God urging a Gentile nation to turn back. He wasn't happy. Look, if you will, the fourth chapter, the last chapter in the book of Jonah. Here we see him running against God after the whale. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Friends, the more I study the book of Jonah, I'm not exaggerating, I get a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. How can a man be a statesman for God's people? How can a man be a prophet of God? How can a man be one that was spared death, being vomited out of a belly of a well after three days, and seeing a huge nation or a huge city turn back to God? And he's like a little kid that feels like he's been mistreated, and he throws his toys down, and he begins to speak to God as if God... It's just a neighbor boy next door. I knew you were like that. In other words, that's why I ran from you when you first told me back in my country. Oh, I knew about your loving kindness. I knew about your graciousness. Here our enemy is so great. I knew you were going to forgive them. I tell you what I want you to do if you're so powerful, God. I want you to kill me. How do we get to that point? Oh, surely it has a good ending. Well, to illustrate his point, when Jonah went out to watch what happens in Nineveh, he sat down and God in the fourth chapter has a plant to grow and provide shade for him that day. It was miraculous. The next night, a worm is sent by God to devour that plant. So the next day, God blows the east wind and the heat is boiling down on him. But now he has no shade. He's out in the hot. He's boiling with anger watching Nineveh. And he's boiling with heat. And the Bible says he grew faint. And again, he cried out for God to kill him. And look, if you will, verse 10, the Lord said, You've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up at night and perished in a night. Now, now, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying you got real upset when a plant was taken away from you that you didn't plant. You had nothing to do with providing it. You had nothing to do with nourishing it. You had nothing to do with its growth. So if it's gone, why do you care? And should I not pity Nineveh? This is God speaking. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, 
and much livestock. Let this echo in your ears. Should I not pity Nineveh? Some scholars have said it's the most brilliant closing to any book of the Bible. It's a closing that continues to echo in any situation. Should I not pity them? And you know Jonah's answer at this point. His answer would have been, no, I hate them. I want my will to be done. God, I don't care what your will is. I don't care the experience I've had three days in the belly of the fish. I want my will done. And God, in His mercy, in His grace, in His loving kindness, says, I can't help it. They're made after my image. They're people I've created. I help plant these people. I help grow them. They may be Gentiles to you, but they're souls to me. I pity them. Any situation. Because we're souls made after the image of God. He pities us. That's the story of Jonah. But you remember we said we would just drive home a couple simple points. I want to ask you tonight. We sometimes talk about living God's will. What does that mean? In the story of Jonah, living God's will meant that you would do what God said, even if it meant being kind to the very people that was trying to destroy your nation. We can relate to that if we look back at American history from time to time. How willing were, would and are we to do God's will when it's against our enemies? How willing are we to do God's will when it is an enemy at work? When it's an enemy at school? How willing are we to do God's will when our enemy is our next door neighbor that we feuded with for the last two decades? How willing are we then to forgive our neighbor, our enemy? To love them, to pray for them. You see, it's real easy for us to talk about, I want to do the will of God. How easy is it to do the will of God when God's will is 100% against our will? You see, that's the test of being godly. In a symbolic sense, we're sitting right now in the belly of a fish. We're probably doing pretty good. We're confined, if you will, to godliness, to Christian support. The real question is, when we leave the fish, will our heart be God's heart? The fourth chapter, at least twice, God asked him. It wasn't right for him to have this anger that he was having. His heart wasn't right. His actions weren't right. Tonight, do you have a heart of God? Do you have actions that are godly? We can't get our life right if we don't get our heart right. You see, he went, action-wise, he went to Nineveh. But then when they repented, because his heart wasn't right, it totally undermined him again. What's the point? To me, the irony of all this is Jonah did well while he was in the belly of the fish. Jonah didn't do very well before that or after that. 
Now there's a lot more to Jonah's life, no doubt, but that's all that's revealed to us in the Scripture. When do you do well? Just when you're around Christian friends? Or when it's Friday night or Saturday night? It's time to put God's will first. No excuses. Can't blame it on the surroundings, the boat, the fear, the troubles. I'm responsible for me. God's will first. Can I say that? Tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, what a wonderful opportunity to put ourselves where we need to be in the arms of God. God will forgive us of sins. We're a believer that's willing to repent and confess before men. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you find yourself kind of like Jonah, running, making excuses. Maybe tonight we need to be like Jonah, at least at the point he said, the problem's me. You need to come forward and confess sin and pray forgiveness.